28,000 miles to zero, a gas engine's better for the environment than an electric engine. But at 28,000 miles and on, there's no comparison. It's like a G meter of a nitro funny car. I mean, the curve goes vertical and the electric car is way better for the planet than the gas car. It's time for Class Racing Today, the podcast for the NHRA Class Racing fan. Welcome back to Class Racing Today. This is episode 28 brought to you by Midwest Class Racers Association. The 6th Annual SeaTech Manufacturing Badger Classic is June 18 through the 20th in Rock Falls in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, some decent money to win there. Um, Bobby, you're with us again. How are you? From, from the New Jersey again. I think you're on the Jersey Shore still? Jersey Shore. Fantastic. I am. Um, going well. It's awesome. not raining today, so going well. <laughs> well that, that's good. It's hot here, uh, kind of obnoxiously hot, but that's all right. Um, and your co-host, Brian, I, uh, he claims to be working. But with this race coming up in Eau Claire, uh, I'm pretty confident that he's buried in a bunker somewhere with that LS1 he's got. He's uh, twiddling the knobs to try to repeat or get better than what he did in, uh, in St. Louis back at the Class Racers Revival. So... Uh, I don't know what we're going to see out of Brian, but um, what do you got for us today, Bobby? Well, speaking of that race that he is probably tweaking some serious knobs for, that is the 6th <laughs> Annual SeaTech Manufacturing Badger Classic. That is from June 18th to the 20th at Rock Falls Raceway. That is $5,000 to win on Saturday, another 5000 to win on Sunday. $150 to enter each day. Not a bad deal. Also, if you have a stick car... Friday, there's a stick shift race, uh, stick shift shootout, if you will. Entry is only 50 bucks to win 2000 okay? And you get a free event T-shirt. Uh, each, each entrant gets a free event T-shirt. So 50 bucks to win two grand, can't go wrong with that. On top of that, you have Kale Aronson from Black Magic Clutches is going to be on site at this Rock Falls Raceway June 17th. He's going to be there giving a mini clutch tuning seminar. That starts at 3 p.m. So, I mean, you got it. A nice weekend of racing there. Uh, learn about tuning the clutches. Black Magic clutches is, you know, uh, everybody's been switching over to them. And definitely a consistent clutch from what we've heard from our other racers and a fast clutch, too. That's crazy. Have you ever been to a race that's a stick shift only race? I have not, no. I'm usually the only stick shift at the races I go to. <laughs> so. do, do you think that would be a, a, a better heads-up scenario? I would love it. I would definitely... Uh, you know, enjoy a stick shift only race. Mm -hmm. I, I might actually hear another car next to me launching as well. Cause I've never heard another car launch before <laughs> uh, sitting in my car. That's for sure. Nice. Um, let's go through a couple results here before we get underway with our awesome guest today. We had division one Maple Grove raceway, Lucas oil drive racing series canceled. We sat in the rain for three days. If you tested on Thursday, you got down the track. If you qualified Friday morning, which I did, I went down the track in the stalker, went down the track in the super stalker. Boom, it started raining, and it didn't stop for three days. And I mean just did not stop. So Monday, Memorial Day, they tried to run us, and so much water was just trapped under the track. They couldn't get rid of it, and they had to cancel it. Um, it is now August 28th and the 29th, rescheduled. And then Bowling Green, Kentucky. We had a national open where Larry Hill, uh, he won the Clay Jones Memorial 5K combo. So congrats, Larry Hill, in his A-Stock Automatic uh, Barracuda. And then we had TC Morris winning in stock and Ryan Haig winning in super stock. So those were our results from this past weekend. And unfortunately for Division One, our opener that we looked forward to for so long did not pan out. Bummer. So we will... We'll have uh, hopefully better luck in August. We won't go as fast, but, you know, we'll still have fun. <laughs> still racing. <laughs> All right, on to our guest today. We have the driver of the Ford Motorcraft Quick Lane Mustang Nitro Funny Car, Bob Tasca III, currently number one in the Funny Car points, which probably hasn't happened, you know, in a Ford in quite some time, so... I'm pretty happy about that. He's got 10 career wins in 26 final rounds. He's got two wins this year already. He won the Vegas national event 
the four wide, and he won the Atlanta Dragway closer. So the Atlanta Nationals, he takes home the final Wally and Funny Car from there. So that's got to be pretty cool. So he's got eight wins in Funny Car, two in Top Alcohol Funny Car. He's the vice president of Tasca Ford, which is in and around the Cranston, Rhode Island area. As we all know, Cranston, the home of Freda Felcher, one of our good friends. He's the owner and operator of two quick lane tire and auto center franchises. And he's crazier than we thought because he's the father of not one, not two, not three, but four boys. Okay. I don't know how he does that. Hats off to him. Bob, how you doing? Very good, Bobby. How you doing? It's great to be on. Excellent. We thank you for joining us. So uh, you are in the shop right now. You are at the dealership right now. You're working. When you're not racing, you are working. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I'm at the Ford store. Uh, we call it the mothership here in Cranston, Rhode Island. And um, yeah, no, if I'm not at the drag strip, you'll find me at the dealership. And I think it really plays well. You know, I was born and raised in a Ford store. So this is really home to me. And you know, being out on that uh, drag racing circuit around all those Ford fans, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Bob, and we know you come from the racing background. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Bob Sr., so your grandfather, he figured out how to take 427 heads, put them on a 428 uh, police interceptor short block, thereby inventing the 428 Cobra Jet. So the 1968 Cobra Jet is you know, was a, the brainchild of your grandfather. Is that correct? That's a true story. You know, it's, uh, it actually, the backstory of it, it, my father and uncles blew up my grandfather's Mustang. And when he was on, he was out, I think at a meeting with Ford, came back and the rods were hanging out of it. So he said, okay, um, let's do something different. And hence the, uh, the Cobra Jet package. They, he drove it for about a month. He called Ford. Told him what he did, and they said, well, that won't work, Bob. He said, well, why won't it work? He said, well, it won't fit. He said, well, it does fit. You know, I put it in the car. He said, well, if it fits, it won't cool. The engine will overheat. He said, well, it didn't, doesn't do that either because I've been driving it for the last 30 days, and it's this thing's unbelievable. you gotta, you got to drive it. So uh, they brought it out to Detroit, and that's how it started. And the, the name Jet came because my grandfather called it a Jet. He said, it's so fast, it's like a Jet. And they own the name Cobra and hence Cobra Jet. So it's a really cool story. You know, my grandfather's in instrumental in putting that together. And, you know, it li lives on today. You know, they came back with the Cobra Jet uh, platform, which was very uh, successful. And, and I got a chance to drive the latest version of the Cobra Jet, the electric Cobra Jet in Indianapolis. And that was just a treat uh, to be able to see just what we can do with electrification. And I think there's more to come with that. Definitely. And we're going to talk more about electrification and you actually running that Cobra Jet in um, Indy, as well as uh, you just ran uh, Joey Logano in April. So more on that in a minute. We know that you come from a racing family, so we're not going to ask you, you know, how you got started into racing, because obviously it was it was probably going to happen whether you, you wanted it to or not. Was it something that you always wanted to do, though? I guess we should ask that. Yeah, you know, it was interesting uh, for me, I got into racing through stories. And, you know, my grandfather got out of racing in the, in the mid-70s. I wasn't born until 75, so I wasn't part of any of that. Uh, but growing up as a kid, I saw the trophies in his house and heard the stories. And I was really fascinated by what I heard they did on the racetrack. And the older I got, uh, I wanted to go see, I remember kid going to see a national event in Englishtown, New Jersey, and meeting Bob Glidden. And that was a moment I'll, I'll never forget. I think he was more excited to meet me than I was to meet him because he knew my grandfather. And, and he was really cool to meet Bob Tasker III and met John Forrest and Tony Pedragon. And, you know, I had driven Mustangs down the track, but it's not something you can fake, right? You either can do it or you can't. And, and I went to Roy Hill School because I really had a passion for racing. I wanted to race, wanted to keep going faster. I did really well in that school. Uh, then we campaigned a alcohol funny car. And I think that's really what caught Ford's attention. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, you know, what's his name? Frank Manzo. Have you ever heard of him? He's won a couple <laughs> races in the day. If it wasn't for Frank Manzo, who happens to be a, a dear, dear friend of mine, I'd have Wally's lined up behind me 
from my alcohol funny car. I mean, I think we went to 14 final rounds in my alcohol funny car, but Frank, you know, uh, was the legend today. And certainly back in the day, he was in his prime, uh, but did really well in alcohol funny car and believed that we could build a, a platform to really leverage NHRA, you know, throughout customer service division, motorcraft, quick lane. And uh, they were impressed with it. They gave me a shot at it. Uh, we did well. Uh, they pulled out of drag racing, as you know. Then I kind of felt like my grandfather, you know, we we're going to try to get Ford back into drag, drag racing. And we did that successfully in 2018. And, and it's, we've been on a great ride. You know, we, we built the program up from scratch. Very fortunate to have, you know, Mike Neff and John Schaefer on our team. And, you know, we've been a contender these last couple of years. Uh, I think this is without question my best year to make a run at that championship. Uh, we got a very seasoned team and, you know, it's just exciting to be out there representing Ford and all the Ford fans and Ford dealers, you know, that, that have supported us throughout the years and, you know, give them a car that uh, is really exciting to cheer for right now. Definitely is and excellent. You put together quite, you know, some really good accomplishments this year, semifinal, two final uh, victories. So congrats Thank to you. you for that. Now, what was the first car that you ever went down the track? I mean, the first car I ever went down is the 92 Mustang. I run in stock eliminator now. I still have it to this day. So how about you? I mean, you had to go down in something obviously slower uh, than your funny car. What did you well, start something, in? It's something you're very familiar with. It was a 92 Mustang. It was a 1992 Mustang. Um, it was bimini blue with a white leather interior. My grandfather had the car built for me. We took the engine out. We put a 440 stroker engine in it. I ran, I think, low tens uh, at the time, and, and I'll just never forget what that slick felt like the first time, and you know how the car really squatted down and you know hiked the front end up. But uh, that's the first car I ever went down the track with was in New England Dragway, right lane. You know, I, I remember it like yesterday, and you know it's cool to be able to go down that same lane in a you know a, a four, 11,000 horsepower nitro funny car. <laughs> Quite a difference, but that's yes. that's pretty hysterical that you and I both went down the track in yeah. 92 Mustangs, our uh, first time down the track. Now, did you ever, did you take that a step further? Did you ever bracket race? Did you ever run anything before you made your way up into these, you know, the top alcohol funny car ranks? No, uh, you know, I did some match racing in New England Dragway. Uh, never did anything uh, professionally uh, on the, you know, bracket racing circuit but uh did some heads up stuff and in, in epping did some match racing with roy hill uh in some pro stock cars i hold a pro stock license as well and then alcohol funny car was my first step into the professional ranks in 2005 uh we went to maple grove and then 06 and 07 we were really really strong i mean we were one of the strongest funny funny cars in the in the country and then went um nitro racing in 08 so that's um, my first step into, into professional racing was alcohol funny. All right. Now I know that your uncle Carl, he still runs uh, the factory stock showdown car. Yes. Cause I was hanging with him and Anthony Bongiovanni and he was more or less taunting Bongiovanni to get his car back out there and let's go at it. But, um, and uncle Carl's a slick, a slick dude. I mean, let's, let's not, lie the guy's got his rings on he's sitting in the chair he's drinking his black coffee i mean he was a pretty cool dude you know i kind of want to be like him when i grow up <laughs> well, I, don't but, know uh, wanna, I don't know if you want to be exactly like him but no <laughs> he, he's definitely definitely a cool cool dude um loves racing very passionate at it you know it's funny because my grandfather raced but but the boys my dad and my uncles my grandpa called the boys they never raced and and he was never a proponent of that as a matter of fact I know he wasn't a fan of me driving and my grandfather never drove, you know, he was the crew chief. I think my father and uncles did too much street racing, to be honest with you, but they never raced professionally. So I, I'm the first one that, that started racing professionally. And, and I just love it. You know, I, you know, certainly it's in our blood to go out there and race. And it's great for me to see my uncle, you know, kind of uh, revitalize the task of Cobra jet uh, legacy and in, in the car that he drives and, you know, who knows what, uh, what Tasker will be driving next. I got four boys, but I've really kind of discouraged them from driving at this point. They're too young. They got to get through school. They're hockey nuts. Uh, but who knows what happens down the road? 
Did you play hockey growing up too? No, I didn't, believe it or not. That's on my wife's side of the family. And um, I had no idea what I was getting into when my wife said, yeah, they, they want to skate. Uh, little did I know it's like running a professional drag race team with the, <laughs> the travel and the, and the practices. But uh, they've, they've certainly enjoyed it. I know my oldest son got an awful lot out of it. My second oldest is playing at a very high level at um, uh, Nobles Academy up um, up in Massachusetts. So, you know, he's still uh, continuing his hockey career. And then I get two other ones playing hockey. So once they get the hockey out of their blood, we're going to get them in the car business and, and uh, maybe get them in some race cup. There you go. Well, sports are sports. You learn to win. You learn to lose. You learn to have uh, grace. So it's they all work hand in hand. I played baseball my whole life. I really didn't start racing until after college. So it's, I mean, you, it's, it all goes together. Now you said that you have a pro stock license. I think you have a super comp license too. Yeah. So any chance we could ever see you in any of those, maybe even stock super stock, uncle Carl lets you drive the car. No, I, don't think any, I don't think there's any chance uncle Carl let me drive that car. <laughs> um, so there's no chance on that. Uh, you know, I've had some fun uh, doing double duty with that electric Cobra jet, but honestly, I, I, um, I would never, I, I would, I couldn't drive too. I mean, if you're going to go run for a championship, you better know your car really well. And it was funny. I'll tell you a funny story. So I'm getting in the electric Cobra jet and, you know, I'm, you know, nitro funny car driver, just jump in and take it down the track. And they're going through things real quick. And this does that. And that does this all things I don't have in my nitro car. The guy <laughs> said, if this lights on, get out of the car as fast as you can. If this lights on, put your hands in your lap. And, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about this car. Okay. It's not going to scare me, I don't think, but I don't know anything about this. So let's understand a few things. Why do I have to get out of the car real fast if that light's on? He said, well, that means there's a fire. I said, okay. Well, my funny car, I just feel immense heat and, and you're very motivated to get out of it. <laughs> and why do I have to put my hands in my lap if this light's on? Well, that means there could be a shot in the car and you don't want to touch anything. So we got through all of that and we got the car up to the start line and and it was it was really cool to be able to go down the racetrack in that electric car and how different it acts versus the nitro funny car or for that matter any car because it doesn't have any rotating mass doesn't have that big crankshaft and all those pistons flying around uh, but no I'm gonna I'm gonna stick in the nitro funny car that's where I'm gonna retire and and who knows uh, if I get in a pro stock car or something like that it'll only be for fun. <laughs> All right. Now, speaking of that uh, rotating mass, um, does the car like when you launch in one of those coverage? And we're going to get on more of this in a minute, but I just real quick, you launch one of those cars. I saw you in the car launching with a trans brake. So the transmission, the the actual drivetrain back is similar to what we have right now, right? Yeah. So that so that's iteration one. Uh, I'll call that uh, Cobra Jet Electric uh, Part One has from the firewall back. It's it's a Mustang that you would you would drive today on the racetrack. Obviously, firewall forward, you wouldn't even recognize it. Uh, but iteration two, uh, we'll take the the clutch and the uh, torque converter out of the car, and we'll go direct drive with electric motors, which is what you see in the showroom floor today. Uh, it's what you see with that Mustang Mach-E 1400 race car that Ford Performance has. We'll go to a version. Uh, we think we'll go to a version like that for the next generation car that we're we're thinking about doing. But um, it's um, very different feel because when you take all that rotating mass out, every car I've ever driven, every car you've ever driven, when you swap feet, it torques the chassis, lifts the left front up. And it accelerates down the racetrack. And, you know, as you get through the torque band, the chassis changes very much on how much you feel that twist. When you hit the throttle in an electric car, it's straight. It's like a slingshot. There is no rotating mass. There is no torquing of the chassis other than, you know, an even squat versus a twist. And it's a very different feel all the way down the racetrack. I think it's actually much easier to drive because you're not fighting the torque of the chassis at all, like zero. And even on a wheel stand, and you saw that thing wheel stand, man, I tell you, that got my attention. We don't do that in a nitro funny car. <laughs> at least you certainly don't want to. 
Uh, and it's it just carries the wheel straight out and sets the front end down. Uh, there, there's no no torquing or twisting of the chassis. So uh, the other thing I think with electrification that's coming, you know, affordability, you know, right now the batteries are very expensive, but the motor's on and the motors live. I mean, we, we literally did zero maintenance. And I, I want to say we had well over a hundred runs on that electric Cobra jet, zero maintenance to the motors. Uh, batteries have maintenance and clearly they're not cheap. Uh, but the costs are coming down. Uh, but this is a real affordability play as this electrification strategy plays out, where I think it'll bring racers into the sport that just don't want to deal with the maintenance of of the you know gas engines. Well, now I didn't look at it that way because I was thinking more of it's not a cost-effective way to get into it, and it's going to take a lot of adjustments among other things, new tech procedures, how, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to start looking under that hood and how you would tweak it, how you could cheat. I don't, I don't know, you know, and who would be able to police that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, that, Hey, listen, you know, if, if they asked Henry back in the day, if you asked Henry Ford, what people wanted, they wanted faster horses and, and you see, you know, the gas engine came. So, you know, uh, the electrification, engine is here to stay i mean if i'm a gas i mean i'm piston you know in my blood right but i drive an electric mach e right now and if i had a choice i'd never drive a gas engine again and, and it's i'm really passionate about that and they say well bob how could you possibly say that like oh my god you're an engine guy i said no i'm not an engine guy i'm a performance guy that's what i am i'm a performance guy and when you see the performance in these electric vehicles mustang mach e the one i'm driving in the low center of gravity and how efficient it is putting power to the ground and how much fun they are to drive and oh by the way a little side benefit you never have to go to a gas station again which i don't know about you but i don't like going to gas stations i don't like anything about a gas station to be honest with you um and every time i get in the car it's got a full tank of gas so uh it's exciting and you can be one or two, you can be in one or two camps. You can pretend it's not happening and you can say, I don't want anything to do with it. That's great. Or you can be in the camp to say, okay, how can I make this work? How can we capitalize on it? How can we, we can see this disruption coming in the marketplace and with disruption comes opportunity and, and let's go after it. And that's the camp I'm in. Uh, but I do believe not today, but electrification is going to be, a huge um, cost-efficient way of racing. Now, the checkup front will be bigger, okay, for the foreseeable future. But the maintenance and the ease of running the car will actually be easier. And, and how you tune the car and how you put the power to the ground will be easier than, than what uh, we do today with gas engines. And, you know, I heard you say in your opening comment that you guys are going to go slower in August than you would have last weekend. Uh, that's true. But if you had an electric car, it wouldn't make a difference. So, so you know, we all don't want to go. I shouldn't say don't want to go to Denver. I love that racing in Denver. But we all go to Denver with, you know, completely different engine combination. And, and you know, we certainly don't go as fast in Denver as we do at sea level. Uh, but when we have electric vehicles, we'll all be racing to Denver because that's where we'll go the fastest, with the air be the thinnest. And <laughs> we don't have to worry about altitude making power. So... Uh, it's cool stuff coming. You know, it's, I'm proud to represent Ford and work with Ford on these electric programs because, you know, they're really, you know, you can say Tesla. Okay. Yeah. Tesla certainly led the way in a lot of areas, but they're not going to be the only ones. And I really think Ford has positioned themselves as, as a mainstream OEM, you know, Tesla, you can call them certainly a niche OEM right now, but as a mainstream OEM, uh, I don't think anyone is more on the forefront of electrification than Ford Motor Company. Hey, Bob, they have in, definitely. In your, uh, sorry, Bobby. Hey, in, um, in your runs in that electric Cobra Jet, how consistent was the performance? Was it every time was bam, bam, bam the same? Is that going to be an issue going forward into the race world with the electric engine concept, consistency? You know, that's a great question. So no, the answer to the question in the car, in the Cobra Jedi race, we did not have traction control. 
And if you've made a poor decision tuning it, the driver better be on his game or it's not going to end well. Okay. Yeah. So, so from that respect, it's the same. Now where the technology is going, yes, it, we can get a lot more consistency because we'll be able to, to, to talk vector the engines in a way that we just simply can't do with an electric car. However, the more you rely on, let's just call it traction control, the slower the car will go because mm -hmm. traction control is going to slow the car down. If you tune the car better and you can make the right call and not use the traction control, the car will be faster. So I still think the, the, the men and women that make the best decisions tuning the car will go the quickest. Uh, but with electrification, there'll be some things you can do with traction control that you simply can't do in a gas car. Mm. Right, because consistency, you know, when you did go down the track, um, I guess Craig was hinting at, were your times within a couple hundredths or a couple thousandths each time you went down? Yeah, yeah, it would have been, uh, it would have been, but because every time I get in the car, I want to go faster, uh, we push the envelope, right? You want to push the envelope. You got a good driver in the car that's going to save it. I've always said a great driver knows when to step off the throttle, not step on the throttle. So they really wanted to push the envelope with me in the car. So if you noticed in Indy, the car went faster and faster every time we went down the track. Had we want to just set it, set it on repeat? Yeah, we could have done that. And whether it was 90 degrees out or 70 degrees out, the car would have gone out and repeated. So yeah, you can get consistency, but if you put a race car in the hands of, of a race team, we're going to try to figure out how to make it go faster. And that's what, that's what we're doing with the Cobra Jet program. That's what we'll do this year a little bit. We're going to, do, we're going to bring that car out um, for some more ex exhibition runs. And I think you're going to hear some news from NHRA, don't quote me, uh, about a future. They already announced a sportsman class, but, but I've been a big proponent of a pro class. I want to see an electric pro uh, electric pro class and you could call it ie an electric pro stock car but make it look like a mustang so so you know really evolve that that electric cobra jet into a a pro type chassis so we can go faster and and right now the cobra the electric cobra jet is limited on how fast we can go because of weight right well the cobra jet 1400 weighs 5,000 pounds. I mean, it's actually, it was called the Cobra Jet 1400 to make 1400 horsepower. It's making 1500, which is yeah. very impressive and 1100, uh, pound feet of torque, instant torque, which is, which is just insane. Um, but yeah, 5,000 pounds, man, that you got to go in there and start well, ditching knobs or whatever. <laughs> and we can make it go faster. When I refer to weight, I refer to the legalization of the chassis for what you're running. So that electric pro stock car will run in the sevens. Trust me, it will. We can't run in the sevens because we are we would be stepping outside of what SFI would call safe. It would be an illegal car in NHRA. So we've gone as fast as we can go in the electric Cobra jet today. So logically, if we wanna keep going faster, which we do, we got to go into a different spec chassis, uh, more along the lines of a, a pro stock car. I see. Okay. Well, on the subject of NHRA putting together new classes, because Formula One has hybrid power plants. IndyCar is going to have that in 2023. They were supposed to have it earlier, but coronavirus delayed them. NASCAR is obviously entertaining the idea. As you said, NHRA uh, created an electric vehicle class. It's supposed to debut next year. Uh, it's going to be part of the NHRA Summit Racing Series. That's the Sportsman Bracket Racing Series. They have had meetings. I know they had a meeting in Gainesville. I tried to weasel my way in, but I wasn't allowed to, to be there. Uh, were you – I mean, you just said you were at, at probably at some of these meetings, and um, is there anything else you can tell us? I mean, you just said that you would like a pro stock uh, – Class. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I think you got to approach it from two spectrums, right? I think the sportsman class is great, and there'll be some crate engines out there that racers will start to be able to, to put in their cars and run, but you're going to be limited on how fast you can go, um, which is great. I mean, and it'll be some great racing, and I think it's, 
it's a logical place to start. I think the other place you're going to start is at the highest level possible because they always want to showcase everything that they can do. And you can't do that in a, in a, in a sportsman class, Cobra jet, electric Cobra jet platform. So I've been a proponent of doing both. I don't think it's an either or strategy at all. I think it's a, it's a, it's a two-part strategy. I mean, you're going to see cars that can compete in that sportsman class that come right off the showroom floor. You'll be able to take a Mustang Mach-E and run in that class. And it's Tesla and run in that class. So that's great. And, and I don't know, I haven't been as in many conversations about that as I've been on the pro side, but I want to see a pro class for electrification where Ford, Mopar, welcome Tesla, Tesla to the game if they want to jump in the water and compete at the highest level under, under certain rules and restrictions, obviously, uh, compete at the highest level in, in NHRA, and that's a you know an all-electric, a la pro-stock type of a chassis, make it look like a street car. Like I think a pro-stock car you know, looks as much like a Mustang as my car does, right? You know, so it's a very small car. It's a narrow wheelbase. Uh, it's not that wide. I think we could rebuild that car and really make it look kind of like what NASCAR has done uh, with the new Evolution Mustang. I mean, that car looks a lot more like a Mustang than the one before, right? And and get the OEs excited about it. Let, like in the old days, my grandfather would work with the factory engineers to talk about Cobra Jet. That's a car you can buy on the showroom floor, right? There's technology that was directly in the in the showroom floor. Now, you won't be able to buy this e-pro stock car on the showroom floor, but there'll be technology that the OEs are going to work on that'll be in this car, that'll be in the next iteration Mustang Marquee or, or future Mustang products for performance and straight line acceleration and, and traction control and how you utilize the engines. I mean, this... I'm talking about stuff that hasn't even been invented yet. Like this is stuff that hasn't even been created yet. So that's what I've been focusing my time on because I really think NHRA is a awesome platform for manufacturers. Obviously I'm a little biased with Ford to get in and really push this technology to the limit and see how fast we can go. And then the technology will trickle down into cars and sportsman classes and, and into cars that you'll buy on the showroom floor. And we really are at the beginning of something um, uh, pretty special, I believe. Any indication that Tesla might actually join and Chrysler? Well, I don't know, but I've read Elon Musk a few times. He probably doesn't even know who I am, but uh, <laughs> a, a couple of times in India, I, I tweeted and tagged him in it and said, let's go Elon, head to head, bring your quickest car, we'll bring ours, let's see who wins. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Elon Musk and, you know, what he's done in the industry. And, you know, did I doubt him a few times? Probably along with many others, but, you know, certainly he's proven some sustainability and, and, and brought, he made electric sexy. And that's what I think Elon did that, that everyone else missed, to be quite frank with you. You know, if you look at some of the electric vehicles that has come out prior to Tesla, they didn't look that good. They weren't that exciting. You know, uh, Elon made them exciting. He made them sexy, he made them look good. He made them fast. And, um, you know, hence the success he's had. And what I love about what Ford has done is they didn't match Elon. I think they, they won up Elon because they took a brand like Mustang. And I know the Mustang purists will probably want to attack me right now, but they took a legacy name like that and evolved it. And, you know, the Mustang Mach-E, you know, Ford electrified history and heritage and, and a brand that only they could do. And to be quite frank, they've done an exceptional job with it. We're selling every one we get. The, the Mach-E GT version, which is the performance version, which I've driven, is spectacular. It's absolutely spectacular. And, and you can see that if you take these iconic brands, as Ford calls them, F-150, you know, Tesla couldn't electrify an F-150, only Ford could. And they've done it in an, an incredibly smart way. It's not a make-believe electric F-150. It's an electric F-150. And I've driven that too. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it'll corner like a Mustang will, with the low center of gravity and instant torque. And then they've brought all of the benefits that electrification will 
you know, for a truck, from a, being a generator for your house and a job site and having all that space in the front now. So that's an exciting product. And I can't go into all of them, but just keep going, right? You know, Ford's got a pretty cool uh, lineup of brands. You, uh, you I read today about the Ford Maverick. Uh... Maverick, you know, so that's not electric yet, but you can just see what they have coming. And I think, like I said in the beginning, for a full line OE, I think Ford is leading the way in electrification. Well, I hope there is a um, the OEM the the battles the whole the whole thing that Pro Stock was built on. I mean, I want yeah. Chrysler to get involved. I just don't want you know an electric vehicle class where it's just going to be the you know the Chevy and the Ford. We got to have Chrysler in there, and it brings us back to the win on Sunday, sell on Monday that your grandfather coined. But you actually taught uh, me something when we spoke earlier. People are emotional with with the winning uh they 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 would like to be aligned with the uh brand that's winning more so than um i guess than than you said like more than than rationalism if you will yeah maybe you can touch on that again that was very interesting it's not what we do is not rational marketing right i mean if you want to take the money that we spend racing not just with me but across the board you can probably go buy google campaigns and get uh, ROI on paper that's better than what you're getting with me, right? But come to the ropes, pull up to the start line and look up at 30,000 people standing on their feet. Like I, I get chills because I watched the Atlanta race again, you know, 30,000 people standing on their feet watching John Force and Bob Tasca pull up to the line in the finals of the last race ever in Atlanta and Ford won the race. We beat Chevy. And task of beat force. And and we ain't gonna buy that on Google. That ain't you're not gonna get that on Google. And that's what Ford and sponsors that get involved with sports, motorsports in particular, that's what they pay for, right? That moment. And there's been so many of those in, in the history of racing. And that's why I say we are emotional marketing platforms. That's what we are. And, and when you can believe in that and you can see how that transcends into your customer base, fan base, customer base, and loyalty of, of these fans that support us. And it's the only reason why that we're out there. And I'm blessed to have, you know, the best fans in the industry, Ford fans, right? So it's, it's what we do. It's what motivates me to race. I mean, I, I, can, I can tell you, I don't know if I've ever been so depressed racing in my whole life as I was last year um, with no fans. I mean, it was like I pulled up to the, to the start line. It's, you didn't even think you were out of dragons. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful to see the fans come back and sold out races and, and um, just the excitement that you feel back in the pits. It's like, you know, for me, it's like – you know, start all over again. It, it is nice. I, I was at the Gainesville national event. I was at the Atlanta national event and, um, Atlanta was, was packed. They both at Gainesville was absolutely packed. They are honoring 2020 tickets and 2021 tickets, Correct. which is wonderful. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to see so many people at the races. I believe the uh, TV ratings were up. Um, it just, things seem to be, going well and i for one i absolutely love racing and national events a lot of my comrades might not agree with me because they, there's schedules are long they change there's delays not me i love it i love thirty thousand people walking around taking pictures of my car can i sit in your car it's just it's a great it's a great thing and i also love pulling into the burnout box and actually seeing people in the stands it adds it definitely elevates you as a driver it can make you better it can make you more nervous it can it can change the whole game for you but it's just more well, it's, the only, it's, the only motors, it's the only motorsports platform in the world where you know a weekend racer can go to the national event and be at the big stage with with all the pro teams so you can't do that in nascar you can't do it in formula one you're not gonna do it in any car so uh, it's a big part of our sport and i was a sportsman racer you know coming up through the alcohol ranks and 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 it's it is nothing like going to a national event and yeah, we get bumped and, and, and we get canceled sometimes, but you know something, we wouldn't be there if it weren't for the pro cars. So 
you have to understand the whole movie, right? Of we're trying to put a show on for the fans and live TV and but but you still get to race at a national event with 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 all the pro teams. And I remember in my alcohol days, I didn't that was the coolest thing that I did was go to a national event. And now you get to go to 23 of them a year. 24, 23. I mean, it, it's literally changing by the day, but thank <laughs> God it's starting to get more normalized. You know, we unfortunately lost Seattle. Uh, it's a place I love to race at, um, but we'll be back there next year. And then we lost uh, Phoenix at the be- beginning of the year, but we'll be back there next year. So the good news is, is life is getting back to normal. And, and um, you know, we're back racing and racing with fans and competing for a championship. So it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, we lost Virginia. That was my yeah, my that bummer. race. That was going to be my first national event this year. Yep, yeah, love Virginia. Um, and Maple Grove is my home track, which I only live about less than an hour from. So I, I'm sure you'll be at that race. That's, oh, that's yeah. my favorite track to race at for yep, obvious it's, reasons. Uh, it, it's it's one of my favorite tracks too. I was just going to ask you actually, what is your favorite track? The you ones know, that you've won the most me, at, or. It, the, my favorite track is the next one I'm going to. I really, you know, for me, it's about getting to the next race. It's getting to the next race. It's getting, you know, getting with the guys, getting with the fans. Everyone starts from zero. Um, you know, I, I really don't, I don't really have a favorite, you know, certainly the races I've won at, you know, you know, Maple Grove's being at the top of the list of places that are special to me. Uh, but for me, my favorite race is, is Epping, New Hampshire. Next week. That's that'd be right. There you go. Your home yeah. track. And not, I mean, how long does that take you to get to Epping, uh, New Hampshire? Yeah, probably about a two hour ride from my house. Um, okay. On traffic, but I uh, love racing there. I got so many special memories there and you know, that's our next race on tour. So it's, it's, uh, I can't wait, can't wait to get out. I like getting, uh, what Brown's lobster pound. I think it was at the end of the, uh, night cheap. Cheap lobster and and around that track, not like yeah, down I here. I, I think I got the line when I won um, Norwalk uh, in nineteen. We're going to Epping. I said, break out the lobsters. So <laughs> yeah, you definitely can get some good lobsters in uh, in New Hampshire. You got it. Get the ice cream in uh, Norwalk. Get the lobster in New Hampshire. You're good <laughs> to go. So the um, let's sidestep for a moment from the racing aspect. Let's go to the everyday driving aspect now does it seem to you that i mean you, you are obviously you're adapting i mean you're excited about it you you know something there's an opportunity here you got to take advantage of it whether you like it or not take advantage and adapt but does it seem to you that the our government is kind of forcing a market for electric vehicles instead of it running its course naturally well but but the problem is is that you can't let it run naturally without getting scale, right? So you need scale to jumpstart a, a new, let's call it technology, because you need to make it affordable. And, and if you don't have scale, the only people who can afford it are those that can write big checks to buy real expensive electric cars. I think when Ford announced an F-150, a price under 30,000 all electric, that kind of shook the industry. Because now you're starting to see some affordability with scale so i don't i don't disagree with what the government's doing uh i think they're helping bring the technology along because there's only so much ford can invest in it without some help right and and tesla wouldn't be here if it weren't for government uh, assistance i mean they they've lived off of those credits that they've purchased to keep that company going but when you look at electrification and you look at the life cycle of a gas engine and the life cycle of an electric engine, and if we all want to try to do good for the planet, you know, at about 28,000 miles, I think that's like where the breaking point happens. 28,000 miles to zero, a gas engine's better for the environment than an electric engine. But at 28,000 miles and on, there's no comparison. It's like a G meter of a nitro funny car. I mean, the curve goes vertical and the electric car is way better for the planet than the gas car. So if we all, if we want our cake and eat it too, right? I want performance. I want fun to drive. I want great packaging. I want affordability. Electrification 
can start to check every one of those boxes, like every one of those boxes. And, and if you've driven one, like I have, I drive one every day now with the, with the Mach-E, it's, it, it's, I love it. I love everything about it. And it's good for the environment. It's good for the environment. It will be better and better and better for the environment as the gas engine breaks down and the electric engine doesn't, it'll continue to get better. The batteries will get smaller. They'll get more powerful. Uh, you know, so you, people have heard solid state batteries coming. So the technology continues to advance. But at the end of the day, if you can have everything you want in a vehicle and it's much better for the environment, why wouldn't you want to do that? So the government sees that. Uh, I know Ford Motor Company sees that. They've announced that they'll be uh, pretty close to 100% elect electric by 2030. Uh, I, I think the, I know the consumers will like it because you know, I go back to what I said to you originally. If you ask Henry Ford what people wanted and you took a survey back before he invented the automobile, we all wanted faster horses. That's what we wanted. We wanted a horse that went faster. So when you can see through the whole movie, not just, you know, the first act. Electrification is the way to go. Uh, it's where the whole industry is heading. It's better for the, it's better for the environment. And we're going to still give you everything you want, everything that you love about an automobile. I, I just think the concern that a lot of people have is um, where the parts are coming from, where the battery materials are being mined, how you dispose of batteries, how is that, you know, affecting the environment? And not only that, can our power grid handle charging all these cars by 2030? Um, Low-income neighborhoods, where are they going to, you know, be able to get electric, afford the electric vehicle, charge the electric vehicle? There's just there's a lot of things that have to be addressed, I think, before. Well, well, there is, but but guess what? It ain't happening tomorrow morning. If <laughs> if Ford in 2030, okay, last time I checked is 2021, okay. So let, let's just say that's 10 years from now, okay? So it's a decade before most of these manufacturers get to what I consider real critical volume, okay? Now, you've got 200 million vehicles on the, on the road, 200 million plus vehicles on the road in the United States. I don't know. We build 16 million cars a year. So that's another decade just to build enough cars to cycle out the cars on the road. So we're having like a 25, 30-year conversation, you and I, right now, Bob. So, so the evolution of this is going to happen over the next 30 years. And, and all of the things that you just addressed from infrastructure to how do you recycle batteries, all of those things have to be answered because we're not going to stack up batteries forever, right? So all of those things have to be answered, and they are being answered. So, so that's where it goes to what I said earlier on. You can pretend it's not happening and wake up one day and say, uh-oh, or you can get involved with it and, and you know, capitalize on the opportunities that are going to happen because they'll be significant. Uh, but you know, solid state batteries, a lot of the things that you brought up, how about battery swapping? You know, there's a Chinese company called Neo that has, has exploded in China with the ability of under two minutes, you can drive into a changing station and drive out with a fully charged battery. And you talk about battery management, they deep cycle charge every single time to maximize the length of the battery. And, and you can manage your battery inventory. One goes bad by having these swapping stations. So, and I'm not saying that every OE is going to do that, but I can tell you one thing. If you were in New York City and you could drive in and drive out and have a fully charged battery in under two minutes, that's probably not a bad solution for urban areas, right? So I really see some exciting technologies and processes and things coming out of this electrification era, which we're about to enter into. But the people that are worried about it happening tomorrow morning and how am I going to afford a car and I won't be able to charge it. Guess what? Buy a gas engine. I mean, you're going to be able to buy a gas engine for a really long time. If you want to buy a gas engine, like a really long time, you're going to be able to buy a gas engine. So so that's not a concern. What I'm excited about is the future and how this technology is going to really change the game and, and be a benefit to the environment and, and be a benefit 
for the people that own it because the other thing is you have a lot less maintenance. Now, doesn't make me feel good as a car dealer. I'm going to have to figure something out. But you're literally, your cost of ownership of an electric car will go down. Um, definitely, definitely some insightful, uh, you know, points to think about right there that um, I wasn't thinking about. But yeah, good, uh, good uh, summary there, Bob. I appreciate that. This, this um, takes me to a statement that I've heard you say that your grandfather said to you, right? In life, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So plan accordingly. And it sounds like you're doing that. Yeah, you adapt. A, I like that. That's, that's a, that's a, a profound, business mind right there. That's a profound statement that my grandfather shared with me years ago. And um, the key part of what you just said is plan accordingly. Because a lot of people get in trouble in life where they think they're at the beginning of something and it's at the end or they're at the end and they think they're at the beginning. Right. So the plan accordingly part is, is a, it's easier said than done. Right. Cause you got to be able to know where you are in that cycle. Uh, but, but I, I, I have a pretty good feeling where we are in the cycle. A uh, little nervous. I'm not going to kid you. I'm a little nervous. There's a lot of things that are going to change in, in our dealerships dramatically, uh, but I'm excited because I think there'll be areas of opportunity that we don't even think about right now. But I know one thing, I'm not going to pretend it isn't happening. I'm not going to come up with excuses of why it shouldn't work uh, because ultimately that's where the train's going and you're either going to be on it and figure out how to be successful with it or you're going to step off it. Right. So um, not me though. No, I hear you. I am just, I'm used to dumping a clutch around 8,000 RPM and listening to that motor sing. And yeah. now it just, it would be kind of depressing to me to just listen to, I guess, a wine going down the track and just not yeah. having that. I love the sounds of it. Well, I got but, good news for you, Bobby. You're going to be able to dump that clutch at 8,000 for as long <laughs> as you want to dump that clutch at 8,000. So, so, so you're, you'll have that ability to do that. And that's what I love about NHRA racing because it's not an either or like NASCAR, if they go electric, I guess you're going to look at electric cars or, or go watch something else. Right. But for us, you want to see a nitro funny car. You want to see a sportsman, you know, gas car. You want to see an electric car. You know, we got pro stock bikes. We got Harley Davidson bikes. We got pro stock pro mod and we got three different versions or four different versions of pro mod. Those guys are really crazy with some of those packages. But, but the truth is that's, what's awesome about our sport is that, it's not an either or. You want to go electric? We're going to have something for you. You want to run a gas? We're going to have that for you too. So uh, I'm just, I'm a technology guy. I want to know what's next, what's coming. So that's why I'm probably leaning more towards the electric side than maybe other people. Uh, but guess what? You do it, do what you like for a long, long time. Well, as long as you're being honest with me and telling me I can buy a gas engine for a couple more years, then that's, then that's fine. But I am a hypocrite here because to be honest with you, I am invested in some of the companies that you've already talked about, uh, that are <laughs> supplying the, well, <laughs> the hey, electric uh, vehicles. I hope this chip shortage, uh, doesn't, doesn't keep affecting things. No, um, they're going to get that fixed. I mean, it's going to take a, a little bit longer, but, um, you know, I said to someone, I said, you know, a year ago we had supply and no demand. And that was real, real scary. Now we have demand and no supply, which is real, real scary too. But I'd much rather have demand and no supply than supply and no demand. So we'll figure out how to get through this. <laughs> well, you you would know because you are the master uh, adapter here. And that's how you guys have probably stayed in business all these years. But uh, before we let you go today, just want you to look into your crystal ball right now. And I mean, you already kind of told us where you think this is headed um, what, what's your feeling on just the health and the wellness of NHRA in general? I mean, I know we're having a great year right now because we are honoring two years worth of tickets. Do you see this continuing? Do the TV ratings keep going? Is there any chance we could yeah. ever pass NASCAR? Just get. Hey, listen, I mean, I, I, I don't compare ourselves to NASCAR or IndyCar. I, I, I compare ourselves to us, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, how are we doing as a sport? Are we growing? You know, now, if you want to look at us relative to other sports, that's great. But we're not NASCAR. And, and we, we do appeal to a different fan. And, and I think a lot of people would be surprised that there's a relatively small percent, I think it's like under 30% of, 
overlap between our fan fans and NH and uh, NASCAR fans. So that was surprising when I, when I saw that number, but I love the TV package. I love what Fox has done for us. You know, we're going to be a national broadcast this upcoming weekend in Epping, national Fox. Uh, so, so I think, you know, going from ESPN to Fox was a huge boost to our sport. Uh, the fans, there is no greater fan experience than NHRA if you want to go to a motorsports race. I mean, you're with us. You're in the pits. You see us tear the cars down. You go up in the stands, you see the cars race. So I think we have an incredible platform uh, from a fan experience. And then look at the competition. It's never been closer. I mean, I literally am winning races in a Nitro Funny car like you win in Pro Stock or what you do, Bobby. I mean, one ten thousands. I beat Hagen in the first one ten thousands. <laughs> you know, I beat John by I think two or three ten thousands in Atlanta. So, so if you want competitive, never know who's going to win. Well, then what are you doing next weekend? Come to Epping, <laughs> New Hampshire, and and that's what makes I think our sport so exciting. Um, you know, we got a great leadership group. Um, you know, I know Glenn Cromwell very well, Peter Clifford. Those guys I've known for many years. So. Did we go through tough times? Unbelievably cr crushing tough times, NHRA, because we don't have the TV revenue that NASCAR has. We, there's a hundred reasons why we shouldn't even be a sanctioning body based on what we went through with COVID. I mean, the track owners, the team owners, NHRA, we've all come together to suck it up. I mean, I'm, I'm racing races this year that were paid last year. And tracks are honoring tickets this year that were paid last year, that money that we already spent. So it's been unbelievably difficult times, but we've gotten through it. And, and that's what, you know, we've done as racers, as NHRA, we're resilient. And, and I, I'm very bullish on the future of NHRA. Uh, I love the sport. I love the fans. I wouldn't want to do anything different. So, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but, you know, you can look at our TV ratings are up. You can look at our attendance has been extremely strong, you know, weather permitting. You know, Houston was a tough race. I feel terrible for the fans and for the track owner there, uh, the Angel family, uh, just a tough race to have to deal with the weather. But, but when you look at the big picture, our sport's growing, and there's not many sports that can say that. All right. Well, I like to hear that. And one last thing I almost forgot was when you raced Joey Logano. I mean, so this, this Cobra Jet 1400 is going 820s at 168 miles an hour, but I like how you spun the tires against Joey Logano. He was running the Mustang, uh, the Mach-E 1400. He gets out to a lead. You then pass him, <laughs> and then you pull a parachute in his face too. <laughs> just to well, hey, listen, I had a salt in the wind. But no, he, uh, they asked me if Joey – had a chance and I and I said in the video I said he'd have to have a lot of good fortune to beat me because this car is built for drag racing this race car driver is built for drag racing and and Joey uh probably hasn't had as many shots at that Christmas tree as I've had so uh now if you take me over on that robo I'm probably gonna have a hard time but um but I figured I had enough power to beat him under any circumstance however I was not anticipating blowing the tires off at the step that I wasn't ready for, uh, but you know that, that my nitro funny car skills came into effect, and and uh, I was able to pedal the car, get it to recover, and we did run them down, and it was uh, it was good because I saw them, and in a nitro funny car, when you see someone out on you, you're done. Uh, but I saw I was reeling them in, and I was looking at that finish line. I'm glad we weren't racing to a thousand feet because I would have lost. But at a quarter mile, we come around them. But that was a lot of fun. Joey and I had become friends. It's the first time I met him, and he hung out with me, him and his wife, and his son and his dad at the Charlotte race. Uh, so just a super nice guy, uh, really fun to be around. And uh, I know he's a drag racing fan, and I'm I'm a, NAS a NASCAR fan. So hopefully we get to do something like that again. Well, that's awesome. I like you uh, shining light on Ford performance because I – and happy that they actually stepped up their back paying contingency to stock and super stock racers. They were away for a little bit. Um, maybe you had something to do with that. If you did, thank you very much. Ford Performance is paying Ford vehicles to win in stock and super stock, and they're paying Coverjet vehicles uh, a hefty amount to win stock and super stock. So, Bob, uh, thanks for everything you're doing for Ford. It's tough. 
for uh, us. We're, there's not many of us out there on the drag strip in uh, the classes that we run. So keep it up. And uh, we thank you very much for taking the time today. And good luck at the Epping National Event a week from today. That begins. And uh, we'll be tuning in to watch you. Thank you very much, Bobby. Great to be on. And uh, love talking to Ford fans and drag racing fans in general. So we're going to give it everything we got in Epping. And we'll, we'll catch you later. Thanks, man. All right. Craig, take us away, sir. This is Class Racing Today. Thank you so much, Bob, for taking the time and giving us your insights into the world of uh, the electric racing uh, and just what that means going forward into the future. That's great. ClassRacingToday.com, ClassRacingToday at gmail.com is their email address. If you have any questions uh, or comments or want to pick up a shirt or sticker, um, don't forget Midwest Class Racers Association. The 6th Annual SeaTech Manufacturing Badger Classic is June 18 through 20th at Rock Falls Raceway in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. 5000 to win on Saturday and Sunday. You don't want to miss it. Uh, and check out Bob in uh, Epping this weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time.